Okay, three, two, one. Um, okay, here we go. This is a uh, another <laughs> live tape broadcast of the TMG podcast. This is our, I think, our fourth or fifth, uh, our first in a couple weeks. But um, we're going to do one today, kind of looking at the NCAA tournament championship week and kind of previewing uh, March Madness, which is already here. And we have uh, our regular um, TMG members. I'm Chris Dufresne of TMG. We have Herb Gould calling from Herb. You there? You still in Florida, Herb? No, I'm back in Chicago. Oh, wow. Back in Chicago. Uh, we have Mark Blauchen. Are you still in uh, Situate? Still in Situate. Okay. And we have a special guest today, uh, Jersey Guy. I won't say Jersey guy light because that you know they're oh, both no 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 <laughs> Jersey guy Jersey. heavy yeah <laughs> Tom Lucci a longtime friend of TMG as long as we've been around which has been minutes now uh, Tom Lucci welcome to the podcast I'm sure this has got to be the highlight of your day at least yeah well so so far anyway so far we're you know it's still a work in progress this day you're three hours behind so you have an advantage. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Um, Tom was a long time is a Rutgers grad. We have a lot of things in common because uh, we both graduated from state schools and didn't uh, fall far from the tree. I think we're I'm within 20 miles right. of Cal State Fullerton, um, right. and I think there's a lot to be said for that. We get we get criticized for that, but uh, I figure you know you know why why leave a good thing right. Oh, well, uh, plus I, I was always able to do I was at the Star-Ledger for 35 years. I was in their high school office for two others, and uh, I got to do what I wanted to do, which was college football and college basketball for 35 years, plus the Triple Crown. So where, where would I go? Why would I go anywhere when I got exactly what I wanted right here? So it was perfect. C? C, Blouchin? Bada bing. <laughs> I actually saw some winning football or basketball in those 35 years. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think one of the interesting things is we should try to count out, and I know you guys are going to blow me away with this number because I've, I, you know, I haven't done uh, that many Final Fours. I've done uh, probably high teens because I didn't get on the the basketball beat till '95. That was my first uh, Final Four, which is the year that UCLA. Oh, UCLA, won. yeah, yeah. That was my first one, and then uh, so I I thought it was just like when I was a kid that UCLA was going to win every year because they did when I was a kid. It was just, uh, you know, who, who are we going to play next year? Um, but I, little did I know that was the last time UCLA was going to win a championship. Uh, but I've only well, done... Let me throw this one at you, Chris. Here's yeah. For more, at least 20 years, maybe more, right, Herb? Herb and I sat right next to each other on press row at the Final Four every year. Yes, we did. <laughs> that year so, when, I got clobbered, when I got clobbered by Jeff Shepard, Yes, smash your computer, smash your laptop. I didn't even move because the guy was tracking right toward Lucci, and then all of a sudden at the last second he clobbered me. Yeah, well, I dove the other way. That's why. <laughs> I, there was no way I was throwing but, my body out front there. Sorry. But the yeah, funny I, part of all this was try, listen, listening to her try to explain to the office why he wouldn't be able to file <laughs> for the passport. <laughs> That was that was a pretty funny. Uh, you know, I'm trying to type. No, no, you don't understand. The computer is in pieces. 
But let's 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 do the math on this. I mean, Lucci, I know you had a long string of consecutive Final I, Fours. Um, yeah, I did. I did every one from 1980 to 2010. So I did 30 of them wow. in a row. And then, uh, as a student, I was uh, I was courtside for the 1976 Final Four. So uh, 31. I was at 31 Final Fours. Wow, and that was the year. Wow, that's the last. That was the Indiana year, right? Uh, yeah, last... right. Indiana. That was the last two unbeaten's. Because Rutgers was with 31 and 0 going into that Final Four. I was in college, and that was in Philadelphia at the old Spectrum. But it was Indiana, Michigan, UCLA, Rutgers. And I think it's great that Rutgers has been able to maintain that kind of excellence over, through over the years. So it's it's uh, it, there really hasn't uh, been. <laughs> it gets a little boring. I mean, every year it's, it's, they're kind of like the Kentucky of the East. You know. <laughs> It's just uh, they make the NCAA tournament, they make a Final Four run, uh, you know, what are you going to do? We got, okay. so they've only been out of the NCAA tournament for 26 consecutive years. And as I've told Blau this, which is <laughs> the most amazing part about this, is you can take a basketball and stand in the middle of Piscataway and hit 25 Division One players. <laughs> okay? And they have somehow managed to avoid the NCAA tournament for 26 years. Well, it's, uh, it's it's an incredible feat. It really is when you think about it. It's it's a very very difficult. If they had tried to do it, I don't think they could have done it. <laughs> so, well, uh, Laurie, we got th- we're going to put you down for thirty. Blau, how many Final Fours for you? Return uh, twenty nine. Because oh I God. had like a couple of years. It's the first year of the Globe. I was doing I was doing the Patriots, uh, and then uh, you know, and so but from ninety one straight through to to what time I retired in two thousand eleven. Oh, those. So 59. It's, it's 29. Herbie, how about you? You know, I, I came in a little late because I was, I, I didn't go to the Final Four um, routinely until 94. I was on Notre Dame and they didn't yeah. make a lot of Final Four trips in my, uh, in anybody's watch. Um, I think I got like 19 because I, I, I was, you know, in and out with the Blackhawks and yeah, so here I was on the Bulls. So yeah, I, I think I have nineteen. Wow, so, same time, dude. What do you got? I've got about I think about eighteen. Uh, I missed a couple years um, in in the last twenty something, but eighteen. So we're looking at sixty, almost almost ninety fun, combined 90, Final Fours. Almost a hundred. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so that that's pretty impressive, I guess. Um, and we don't know any more than anybody else does. Well, that's that, ninety-something final fours. I mean, it's just you know. Well, then that's my question. When in all, when in all of this did did bracketology become like, you know, a thing that has now cons- consumed our lives or some of our lives? I I don't know where this came from. It's it's to me it's like Scientology, bracketology, and science. It's not a scam, but it's uh, I don't know how you know how did Joe Lenardi. Uh, and Jerry Palm and, and you know become people that were like watching um, uh, and looking at every day in, in, at this time of year. How did this happen? I remember Lenardi doing it for the you know he wrote in Philadelphia. So I remember him doing it for that and consulting him. I covered Seton Hall for quite a while, um, and they were on the bubble, especially during PJ's years or, or, or in Bob. And so I remember consulting him. So I, I'm going to say it was early '90s. But why did this happen? Why why are we you know why are we being consumed by this you know and as Blau has explained in a couple of really good stories at uh, on our site tmgcollegesports.com, um, kind of the science of bracketology uh, and uh, how it's you know it's become this thing and it's really 
you, you know, if you're not picking, if you're not getting 65 out of 64 or 65 out of 68, you're, you know, you're really not doing your job. And it's, it's, it's I'm just wondering how it became like these guys, where you look at these guys like they're, you know, you know, rocket scientists or something, or how, you know, how are they figuring this out? Well, it's, it's, it's just like, it's the world of leaders, ESPN. ESPN wanted to make a cottage industry out of it, out of it. And all of a sudden you got Joey Brackett's doing brackets in December, which is ridiculous. I mean, last four in, first four out, come on. It's very, very early. I mean, Jerry's from the Northwest Indiana, basically, you know, Chicago metro area. And he was a computer guy. I think that's where those guys took the forefront. I used to do it as you did, Blau. I mean, my office wanted a, a bracketology column from me, you know, not necessarily ongoing, but I would do one maybe the, you know, right before Selection Sunday. And it isn't rocket science, although it has become that. The part that, that, that becomes rocket science is if you're a computer geek and, and it automatically updates so that you can four times a day take a look at your new bracket. I mean, the way I used to do it on a legal pad, my, my you know, to recompute it was a, was not something that was instantaneous. And Jerry Palm came from it as a computer guy, uh, and he, you know, had everything all plugged in so that, you know, he could constantly update it. And then he enterprised it into a, a website of his own. And, um, you know, he's had this this ongoing, I guess, feud is probably the best word with with Jeff Sagarin, you know, Jerry's a Purdue guy. Jeff Sagarin's an Indiana guy. Um, and, and they, they basically yeah. turned it into, you know, they, they massaged it into something that you could update very readily. And, and then people are so fascinated by it now that it did become a, a whole cottage industry. Yeah. And I would say that I'm going to add this, Chris, too. I think, I think one of the, one of the metrics that fueled this is when the uh, NCAA started, the selection committee started relying on RPI, and that became yeah. the buzzword, you know, for quite a while. What's right. your RPI? What's your RPI? It's obviously not as much back for now, but it used to be that's all people thought about. What's your RPI? You know, so I, I think that probably contributed to it a little bit and how people interpreted the RPI. Yeah, I'll tell you the guy that's got it got the magic dust, the, the magic potion on this is Ken Palm, uh, Ken Pomeroy, who does, I mean, you know, people bow down to this guy. Uh, he, he, you know, more than all all the others. He's he, as far as information and metrics and all this. He seems to be the one guy that has the uh, utmost, uh, you know, respect for coaches and and writers and everything else. He he puts out some interesting stuff. Although I don't understand half of it, but it's either here or there. Um, but the, the, a couple bracketology controversies. Uh, it hurt. Speaking of uh, Jerry Palm. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but Greg Marshall, uh, the Wichita coach, like, lashed out at Jerry Palm on, uh, you know, <laughs> after the Missouri Valley tournament. Uh, this is what I'm talking about: that that coaches at major colleges and mid majors and top mid majors are calling out bracketologists, uh, you know, uh, for sliding their for not having them in the field if they didn't win the tournament. Uh, Joe Lenardi's in a kind of a big battle with UCLA fans right now because he has UCLA as a number three seed uh, in, in his bracket, even though the Bruins are the number three team in the country, um, you know, in most polls. Um, and I wrote a little bit about this, too, about how guys like this seem, you know, have, have I don't know, you know, I don't know what Joe Lenardi knows that, 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 that we don't know. I mean, what's, 
what's going on here? Is this just done for theatrics, or, or, or what, you know, what's the deal with this? Well, Joe, Joe Anotti is, is trying to, the one thing in his defense, and, you know, and I've, I've known Joe for years and years, he's, he's trying to think like the committee thinks. And so when he, when he saw the, the biggest knock against UCLA was their non-conference with the strength of schedule, which is ranked like 223, according to the numbers that, that on, on the RPI. And so when the first, the first uh, mock six, week 16 came out by the committee about a month ago, UCLA was 15th uh, after a win over Oregon. And so Joe, Joe Anardi is just trying to say that's the reason they're, they're not as high as, as the polls say. And whether that's right or not, I don't know where that changes. If UCLA wins the, the Pac-12 championship and, and beats Arizona and Oregon again, then, I, then that's obviously got to change. And then, they, then they're in a discussion for a number one seed, I think. And I think he will change that. He might not, but I, I think, I mean, but that's the, the primary reason for, for doing that. I mean, it's, it's, if you try, it's not what he thinks, it's what you try to get with the committee is because that's how you say you're right. I mean, that's what, what everyone who does a bracket set tries to beat the committee and says, okay, I had 67 out of 68 based on what the committee makes. Now, if the committee makes a mistake or does things wrong, you can't argue with that. That's what they, they chose for whatever reason they chose. Um, okay, Herb? No, I was going to say the other thing I think is that there are points of emphasis that shift ever so slightly every year. Once the bracket comes out, you know, we will inevitably see stories uh, saying, well, this year the committee valued, you know, road wins, or this right. year the committee valued, you know, they put an extra emphasis on strength of schedule or your last 10 games, and then there's always that injury factor, and, right. you know, it kind of gives them a secret sauce so that they can dicker with it a little bit. Uh, what, whatever happened to, like, watching teams and in, 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 in how they're playing, you know? It's like, if you looked at... If you watch UCLA since January, they haven't lost since January, and they they they've avenged every loss on their schedule. They lost to USC, Arizona, and Oregon, and since and even since the committee seating came out, um, they avenged the Oregon and the Arizona loss. Um, and so, yeah, I think you're, you're right. I don't think they emphasize the last ten thing. Isn't really they don't really emphasize that anymore. I know they used to the last ten games. Yeah, I was doing four examples. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, I think you're right that they people have said that's not a big deal this year. You know, and the other thing, I mean, some of these, you know, when they start talking about, you know, uh, a loss outside the top 100 on November 29th, you know, I, I start rolling my eyes. Exactly. I mean, I, there are much better ways to measure teams than if they had a bad night on uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Right, right. I mean, UCLA played a lot of uh, teams from – the, the big West that you know, it turned out to be, you know, it seems like Long Beach State and San, and Santa Barbara that, uh, you know, are, are normally not very bad, are, not, are, you know, respectable big West teams. They've had good years. They, they were way down. Uh, but, you know, Nebraska, the UCLA played Nebraska, and Nebraska's not very good. I know that. But what about the eyeball tests? When did, you know, when did the, what about just watching a team and how do they look? It's like, in the ACC, it doesn't matter. It's like Louisville and Duke could lose every other game in the last two weeks, and it doesn't matter. Well, watch out for Duke. Well, they lost. Well, watch, you know, but no, they play in the ACC. Uh, how much are we getting lost in this this power conference thing, too, the kind of the meaty middle of, of, of a power conference play? And 
I know, Blau, you touched a little bit about on this uh, in your story about how it kind of really kills, it, it really is hurting the one, the, you know, the, the one, one bid leagues. Yeah. Um, and should you be rewarded for just being in a, in a power conference and getting the chance to play? You know, it's kind of like the SEC where you just keep beating up on each other and you say, well, we're a great conference. We, you know, we, we deserve all we get. I mean, uh, you know, is the ACC, are they really that good this year or do we just not know? Well, you know, look at, look. I mean, a couple of years ago, and Lewis remembers, probably remembers this, is like five years ago, the Big East had 11 teams in, in, in the tournament, 11 teams. Now, you, you can't possibly tell me that the 11th Big, Big East team that year was better than, than the, you know, the, say the Horizon League champion right. who, who, who was 27-1 and one or 27-2 and lost in, in the semifinals. I mean, but that's, I mean, people just say, okay, we want the best teams in. Well, what, what's the definition of the, of the best team? I, I don't know. I mean, no one can, can gauge that. I mean, sometimes, I mean, there are mid-major teams that, like Wichita, you know, uh, a couple of years ago was undefeated and, 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 and was ranked number one and, and all of a sudden they find Kentucky as a number eight seed in, 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 in their in the second round game and boom, they're out of the tournament. I mean, so how do you, how do you make judgments like that? But don't we always hear that each, each team is taken, each school is taken individually and it's basically a blind uh, evaluation? Yeah, it is, but, 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 but once... So but, if the Horizon champions didn't stack up the 11th uh, place Big East team that year, I'm just throwing this out, uh, just based on a, on, a, on a blind look and evaluation, uh, maybe they got it right. I'm not saying they did. Yeah, they, 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 they could have gotten it right. right, Lewis. So that's why the committee looks... They, they, each team is an independent, so, they, so then they look at the strength of schedule. Now, who, who did their Horizon to? Who does a team like, like like Butler play outside when they were in the Horizon League? Uh, play outside of the conference that was any good, and how do they do it? I and mean, that's how the committee judges. You're you're right about that. I mean, you can't, how do you make those judgments? But the, the disadvantage for those mid majors is no one wants to play them. Correct. Right. I know Mammoth Mammoth has been having trouble getting schools to schedule them, and they'll play anywhere, and they're going to finish with another great record this year. They they lost, I think they won 13 or 15 in a row, won their league, uh, lost in this, in this quarterfinals, their semis. Um, uh, they're not going to go anywhere. They're going to the NIT again. But I'm right. saying a lot of those schools don't have the opportunity to, to beef up their schedule the way a Power 5 school does because Duke is playing Carolina and Miami, right. you know, and Florida State, uh, you know, and Louisville every other week. Whereas these Horizon schools, if they don't get it done, Horizon schools and mid-majors don't get it done in the non-conference in October, November, December, you know, they're dead. Yeah. Which is which is why you, you come up with the idea, and Duke and I talked about this a couple of years ago, we, we, we wrote stories about it, is one big conferences, either one shouldn't have conference tournaments, or two is change the system, so if you win the regular season, that's it. The automatic bids go to the regular season champions, and and, 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 and if you win the tournament, you get you, and you don't make the NCAA tournament, you get an automatic NIT bid. It should be reversed. Then, be, then you have the fairness factor is 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 improved considerably. But then nobody's going to the money makers, which are the postseason tournaments. They're big money for conferences. Who would who would go to the Big East if you knew they were just playing for an NIT bid? I mean, look, how are you? How are these big money? Uh, com- I, I don't. I see empty seats everywhere I look at these at these conference tournaments. Yeah, well, they're yeah. selling the seats. I mean, it was always that way at the Garden too. Every seat was sold. And you'd be there for the Wednesday, uh, you know, seven o'clock game, 
and it, there would be actually 8,000 people, but it's part of the package. You have to buy the pack. So, but you, but you, you know, can't you can't even exempt for, for a multi-bid league, Luke, because all seven, six, and, you know, and that day, seven or eight teams know to go. The top teams in the Big East know to go into the tournament. There's no question about that. I'm talking about the one-bid leagues where, you know, like 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 the, the, like with Mammoth. I mean, the Big East is always going to – that will always be an attraction in New York City because they're playing, they're playing for seeds and they're playing for, for, for a lot of different things. And the top tier of those, the top tier of that league will always get in a, in a big, in a NCAA tournament. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. here's the thing, though, about the one league. Do we really need to see two Ivy League teams? <laughs> Do we need to see two NAC teams? I don't need to see them. No, but you need to see the right team. You need to see the champion. You don't need to see a, a 16 and 13 team. Well, so that's something that the, the leagues could do if they want to designate. I mean, that's their that's within their power, isn't it? The problem they're going to run into is is ESPN's going to say, "Well, we don't want to." Yeah, that's that's the answer, right? It's that's all about right. television. Yeah, television, right? They're, that's the answer, right? That's the problem. But you're right, Lucy. I agree with you, Mark. You were told we were talking about um, the, the the smaller, the below mid majors. You know, maybe Ivy League fits in there. They should probably do it on the home courts. That would well, be the. Oh well, yeah, that's for sure. That would be the reward for the regular season. Yeah. That would be a reward for the regular season. Princeton went on beating the regular season. They should host until they lose. Right. Correct. Yeah. But it's, that's not going to be the case. They open with ten at the Palestra and then have to play Harvard for a third time. But but it, which is going to be a, a tough road for Princeton. I mean, even though they beat those teams twice each, I mean, it's going to be tough. Right. You know, even the even the Ivy League sold out. I mean, after you know they were the last holdout for years, and and, and like I said, maybe it's going to come bite them the first the first year they do this. But I think Luch is right about the you know some of this stuff is baked in. If you're a member of a conference, you have obvious advantages, whether you know you're, you're grandfathered in or whatever. But you you look at a school like St. Mary's. Uh, you talk about you know nobody's going to go to St. Mary's. They can't they can't get people to come there. They play in a little bandbox gym, but so they can't. They, you talk about strength of schedule. They they have hard, you know they have a hard time getting people to play them. Um, and uh, you know they're going to make it this year, but last year they beat Gonzaga twice in the regular season, lost in the in the the WCC title game and didn't make the tournament. And it's like well you know they didn't play a strong enough schedule, but you know. Those kind of mid mid level uh, leagues where St. Mary's gets left out if they finish second, uh, I think that's what we're talking about. Should they get left out over? I saw where you know Vanderbilt this year has has a chance to be the first fifteen loss at large team. You know, really? I mean, is that is are they are they better than uh, four you know, three loss St. Mary's out of the? WCC or some other team that's going to get left out. I, I don't. I just don't get it. Well, the analogy the analogy I sometimes use is that the NCAA tournament selection process is like the tax code. You know, it favors <laughs> the wealthy, and yeah. you know, our conferences. These rules are sort of made up in many ways to justify you know the the top heaviness toward power conferences yeah. and. You know, it's just the nature of it because, you know, I think we saw Mick Cronin talking about this the other day, the Cincinnati coach. You know, the, some of this stuff, you know, there's always conspiracy theories that, you know, this stuff is rigged because, you know, the truth is that, you know, Kentucky is going to be better for television than northern Kentucky. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's hard to get around that 
And so they, you know, they try to make it look as fair as they can, but ultimately there are going to be a lot of controversies. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it is what it is, I guess, but it, it, it truly isn't. Like I said, when you're letting uh, 13 and 20 teams into the tournament, it's obvious, I think that's always been the misnomer that these are the best uh, 68 teams that we have to offer, which is really not true. But, uh, it, it, you know, all that is, uh, is overcome by the, the wildness of March Madness and the Cinderella's, and people forget about that. I guess that's, that's the most important thing. It's, a, it's more of an, it's an entertainment event as much as it is a competitive, uh, you know, endeavor. Um, because you know, one and the one and done, uh, you know, single elimination uh, you know, eliminates a lot of good teams that you know that would have won a best of five series in in the NBA or whatever, or in baseball. But uh, uh, let's move on a little bit. I I, I, I can't uh, you know I can't forget to mention now that it's actually happened and bring Herb in on this. The North, following the Northwestern saga the last couple of weeks. On our last podcast, Herb and, and, and Blau virtually cinched, clinched, slam-dunked uh, Northwestern into the, its first NCAA tournament. And then you know, last week were biting their fingernails as it looked like they might actually let this thing slip away. Um, but you know, Northwestern is in now after <laughs> it took a, a last-second full-court um, uh, basket against Michigan uh, to do it, but uh, just the idea that Northwestern is now in the tournament. Herb, um, I know they lost to Purdue, they, you know, uh, so they didn't really follow up on, on that. Uh, you know, they didn't clinch their win with a follow-up, but they are in, and I guess we should, we should talk about that. Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, they, there was a lot of pressure on them, and, and Chris Collins definitely, you know, mentioned that, and then you know, to, to break this, this streak. And also you're talking about a situation where they had Scotty Lindsay, their, their top scorer at the time, uh, go out of the lineup with mono for several games. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the pre- there were things that made it tougher for them to get through. And then all of a sudden Illinois woke up and beat them twice. So there were, you know, there were a lot of things that, that, that roadblocks, but to their credit, you know, they, they, they were able to hang in there. And uh, that Michigan win, I think everybody sort of just exhaled and realized that was going to be the one that got them over the, uh, over the hump. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great thing for them. And, and they've got a lot of pieces in place that they're going to be uh, competitive, you know, as we move forward, too. But all credit to Collins. I mean, that, you know... Uh, Bill Carmody, the, the old Princeton guy who was at Northwestern before Collins, he came awfully close. I mean, he, he just, his problem was that, you know, he had some injuries and they just didn't have the depth. Collins has built enough depth to deal with that. And he's got a very Duke-like kind of a team. You know, they, they're not, you know, they could be a little bit bigger in, inside, but they are very smart and they've got a lot of uh, guys who are skilled and sort of multi-skilled, you know, that, uh, McIntosh, the the point man, is, is really outstanding, yeah, and, and okay. they have a couple of scores. You know, they, they they've got a nice team. He's done a really good job of putting that roster together. Well, you know, it, it, the thing about you know Northwestern, I'm, I'm just thrilled for all the journalists, the, the journalism majors, <laughs> uh, the Christine Brennans, 
uh, J.A. Donde's, the, the Michael Wilbons, the Herb Goulds. Her, now, Herbie, you are a grad, you're a graduate of the Medill. I, I went, I went there for a year, and you know they don't those the, the true Northwestern believers. You know they call me a Wisconsin guy, and 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 I readily raised my hand to that. But I was at Northwestern for a year in grad school, and actually. I went through like this multi-week interview process and got a job on the alumni magazine. And then they said, well, give us some ideas. And I, and my, my one big idea for a story was should Northwestern get out of the big 10 and (laughs) they didn't like that idea. And I actually then went through several weeks of exit interviews. I worked that job for about three hours and not, not counting the six weeks of interviews and exit interviews, you know, it was a school that struggled. I mean, when I was there in the '70s and and right and just beyond that, I mean, they barely, you know, if they won two games, it was a big year in in football. And the basketball team, it just was a struggle. Um, but you know, they they and and I don't know how big their fan base is either, you know, because it's it's a, it's a small alumni base and. And they have other things to do. They don't draw well for football. And only lately now have they kind of people gotten on the basketball bandwagon. Yeah. Well, Blau, do you, I saw. I thought this was funny. Blau, I think Blau, in one of your mock brackets, you had Northwestern playing USC in an, an 8-9 game. I, I don't, I don't, yeah. Which I think is great because, you know, when Northwestern made the Rose Bowl back in 95, that was a big deal. And all the Northwestern journalists took a, a team photo at the uh, at the Rose Bowl, you know, all the unbiased, yeah, you know. Let me in that one. You weren't in no. that, yeah. Uh, so I'm just wondering if uh, if there's going to be another team pic- team photo by the, you know, the all these journalism students that come out, uh, you know, of, of the Medill School uh, with their unflagging, uh, you know, unbiased uh, journalism approach to things. Except when Northwestern gets in a tournament or goes to a Rose Bowl, then they become just like. Any other, yeah, any other cheerleading fan? That, that's never been a problem at Rutgers and Cal State Fullerton. You see, that's why we can we can practice. <laughs> I was wondering, can I play in twenty five years when Rutgers makes the NCAA tournament again after a fifty year drought? Can I be the expert? We we see we don't have any problems with being you know uh, uh, with this, with bias because our our you know our teams now you know Fullerton when I and, and, and Lucci. We talked about parallels. You know, when I was at Cal State Fullerton, that was the year that that my team, my college team, made it to the regional finals. Uh, uh, you know, and lost to um, Arkansas. We were we were we were uh, three points from the final four that year. People forget that. So, but you know, most most years, I don't have to I don't have to worry about football at all, just like you don't. Well, of course, yeah. our, we we, we <laughs> draw. I don't have to worry about what I say about it. Blau can attest. I'm sitting on the beach. I got to tell you this story. I'm on the beach one day in the summer. Tony Barnhart calls me. I was on the on the BCS poll. I was one of the few media people allowed to be on the BCS poll because the paper said it was fine. So uh, Tony goes, "Well, aren't you worried about conflict of interest?" And I said, "Well, no. I, I went to uh, I went to a school that doesn't play Division One football. I went to Rice." And of course. That quote made it nationally, oh. and certainly made it to the office of Greg Schiano, who called me up as soon as I got home from the beach that day. <laughs> was were, were you wrong though? No, I wasn't wrong, but uh, he wanted me to be a little more diplomatic. Yeah, the way I had some of those questions. So, yeah, uh, is Greg Schiano still at Rutgers? Uh, he's got a better job. Yeah. He's at Ohio State. <laughs> right, sitting on a big job. Right. So. 
Uh, well, it, it, it makes a tournament. Is Rutgers the longest uh, Power 5 conference school? I, with a, a I think it is. Yes, I, I believe it is. If Northwestern makes it, Rutgers having made it last in 1991. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's you know, amazing. They, they fired seven consecutive basketball coaches. <laughs> That's hard to do. That is really hard. Like, sometimes guys leave to get a better job. They fired seven consecutive basketball coaches. In how many years? <laughs> uh, well, since, I want to say since uh, Craig Littlepage in 86. Okay. Wow. That was a lot of fun, by the way. You got to watch Craig Littlepage, who's a great AD at Virginia now, but lose 24 games for three straight years. Wow. Lucci, yeah, worse in football or basketball? Rutgers. Uh, at least they had, they had this this century. They had some success in football, so I would say basketball. I, I don't think there's any question. Right, and, and and in football, you know, Washington Washington got ripped for scheduling Rutgers uh, this year. You know, they they hurt people even you know even after they planned. That's the thing. And you know, yeah. and and Washington scheduled Rutgers after I think the three best years in the program history, and they made that game, and then they, and and now they got they they got killed for that. <laughs> so and now they're coming east this year, but I, but I think part of that too is the Big Ten Pac-12 Association because Rutgers is also playing UCLA in the near future. Oh uh, wow! Before this decade's out, I think they play UCLA. Well, I want to say eighteen and nineteen twenty something like that. I think wow. they're playing UCLA. Yeah, Exciting. And they played Washington State too. Schools that they never would have played if they weren't in the Big Ten. But Washington uh, comes to comes east this year. But um, no, it's just you, you can't. Like I say, seven consecutive. But I mean, I don't think there's any program in the country that does stuff like that. And by the way, Herb, did, did Northwestern ever finish last in football, <laughs> men's basketball, and men and women's basketball in the same year? Uh, what know, has accomplished that feat in his second year in the Big Ten? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not up on Northwestern women's basketball. So but they definitely had a few years when they did it in uh, the two men's sports. Yeah. Is there a is there a women's a bracketologist? I mean, is it like a Jill Jilly brackets? I mean, does anybody do that for the women? Or are they? It's just UConn is so dominant. They just nobody even bothers. No, they're just they're just showing UConn's the top, and then yeah, UConn. I know there are there are NIT bracketologists. I mean, well, I that that having covered Illinois in the John Gross era, those, those people should be you know put on an island. I mean that that's ridiculous. The, an NIT bracket a bracketology. Yeah, I don't think it gets down to the CIB though. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, anything else on your minds? We, we talk a little bit about. Uh, we should probably. Start winding this down, but I think the point was brought up about the 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 rise of Northeast basketball uh, and all these conference tournaments. If you look at it with the with the with the ACC in Brooklyn, the Big East is in in New York. Um, the herb, what now? What did Chicago do? What did you guys do to lose the Big Ten to Washington? Um, well, you know that that's that, that's a good point, Chris. Um, the the Big Ten has basically alternated between uh, Chicago and Indy uh, oh. for its whole career, oh. 20 years. But they, I think, you know, they want, I mean, June Delaney, I call it Delaney's March to the Sea uh, <laughs> because they, you know, they have Maryland and, and they have, and they will point out correctly to you that there are tons of Big Ten alumni, right, not only in Washington, but next year the Big Ten tournament is going to be in Madison Square Garden 
the week oh, before yeah. the Big Beach tournament. Basically, I think what's happened, and I remember having these, these conversations with Delaney before there was a Big Ten tournament, you know, how great it would be to do this at the United Center in Chicago. Well, it hasn't, you know, the, it hasn't been embraced by Chicago the way the Big East tournament was in, in New York. And moving it around, while I, I'd like to make fun of it, it makes sense, you know, because you have, it's not, first of all, Indianapolis clamors for it, but Chicago, it kind of gets lost here. I mean, it does it does well enough, but it's not like the most the toughest ticket. Right. So it makes sense to move it around. Well, it, it, you're saying that if the Big Ten is in New York City, Madison Square Garden, uh, Lucci, does that make Rutgers the host team of that tournament if, when they're in New York? Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure they are. I remember. Yeah. I, I remember when they the statue. I mean, the uh, Empire State Building was 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 lit up into uh, Rutgers, whatever that color is you have. Yeah, um, Scarlet. Yeah, Scarlet. That was for the, after beating Louisville in 2006, yeah. <laughs> which is just what they still uh, cling to a decade later. You know, I, it's just it's like they, they, you know what they've celebrated their 1976 Final Four team more than any team in the history of basketball has ever been celebrated. I mean, they have a reunion like every two years just to trot these guys out. It's incredible. They don't have anything else. Well, I could. I, 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 the, the first round NIT loss in '96, or you know, uh, they have nothing else. It's 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 incredible. So it's amazing. We also have if the. If you're not from here, you wouldn't get it. The the American uh, uh, athletic tournament is in Hartford too, right? So we got to. Yeah. So the uh, way I figured with Las Vegas hosting about 10 conference tournaments, uh, the proximity to gambling meccas uh, for college basketball with Atlantic City and, and Las Vegas. Now, I know the NCAA still is, will, not, uh, will not allow a, an NCAA-sanctioned event in the, in the state of Nevada. Is that true for New Jersey also? Or uh, I don't know if they've loosened that. But uh, they don't mind conference tournaments in, in, in gambling yeah, casinos. It still, it still holds for New Jersey, but... You know, if you're in Brooklyn, you are not that far from Aqueduct, which has a major casino <laughs> resorts world. Yeah, it's so that's yeah. not a far drive either. It's one. It's one of the many hypocrisies uh, still on the table that they, you know, you, you know they don't they won't allow an NCA regional in in Las Vegas, but you can have, uh, t, you know, four conference tournaments there. And they uh, used to take lottery gambling uh, ads on TV and you know casino ads and. Beer ads, and you know, I, I think they've cut back on a lot of that. But um, yeah, I wanted to tell Blah. I don't know what. Who do I? What do I do now? You didn't tell me. Mammoth and Belmont are both out. Who do I root for? Gulfstream now in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, they're, they're both out, right? Santa Anita. They get <laughs> two racetrack schools are out. Mammoth and Belmont. Well, Lucci, Lucci, that's it. Gives you more time to work on the the uh, the Sunday St. Patrick's Day card at Santa Anita, <laughs> which I and we have we have a breaking news bulletin that just was handed to me that ESP ESPN does a women's tournament. Uh, they do have a bracketologist named Charlie Krem or Cream, Krem de la Krem, Cream. So I stand okay. correct. I stand corrected on that. Um, and uh, unless there's anything else to talk about, I know there's the uh, the big world baseball. Um, Classic going on. <laughs> well, you know, what, you've probably seen them. I, I really, I only watched them briefly, uh, and so I was wondering what your what your thoughts were on Gonzaga. I don't know. Can you can you make the Final Four with a with a, a bearded white guy who looks like a lumberjack? That guy reminds me of. He reminds me of, of, of Fred Flintstone uh, bowling. You remember those? That my, one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> 
when he's on his tour. Yeah. Are you are you sold on them? Are they legit? Uh, yes. I, well, no, well, you know what? I, I was sold on them, and, and I'm glad they, 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 they did lose a game at my request. I wrote last week they should lose. Um, what's disturbing is they lost to BYU at home Saturday night, and last night St. Mary's just be, just throttled BYU by 35. It could have been 50 points. And so since their loss, you know, and, and Gonzaga str- they, they struggled against Santa Clara last night. So they've kind of got the little doldrums after you know going twenty nine and zero, but they are they're really they are legit. Um, you know they got they got they got a lot. Uh, they're too deep. I call them like Noah's Ark, too deep at every position. And Karnowski's a beast. Uh, that guy, uh, I say he's like Fred Flintstone up on his you know twinkle toes. Uh, yeah. Go and so yeah, they are legit. But the question is, is they had not they hadn't really been in any close games, and how are they going to play? Under pressure, well, now we've seen they, they, they lost under pressure to BYU. They struggled under pressure last night uh, against Santa Clara. And, um, you know, we're taping this on, on, on uh, what day is this, Tuesday? They're playing St. Mary's tonight. Watch out. I mean, St. Mary's is going to be after their rear ends. And St. Mary's is really good. I would not be surprised if, if St. Mary's doesn't upset them tonight. So I'm a little, um, uh, you know... Yeah, I'm more guarded about them. A week ago, I would have said, "Yeah, they're legit." Now I'm, I'm starting to have some question marks too. Well, I, I, listen, I know it doesn't factor in, but their history is not great, and, <laughs> no. and where it factors in is, you know, people keep bringing it up when they make the NCAA tournament. I've seen them lose in the NCAA tournament more than uh, I've been courtside for their, when Adam Morrison was crying when they lost to Wichita in Salt Lake, when they lost to uh, Arizona in in overtime, and so I mean, some of the, I've been, you know courtside at some of their classic defeats and you're right until they do it they're the cinderella that never that never got to the dance i mean they have not been to the final four um they've they've let they've let george mason get there they've let wichita butler. get there um twice. butler got there and and until they do it and i think that's that's what we don't know about gonzaga is that you know until they do it they haven't done it Says you know Yogi Berra. Yeah. So, all right. Well, you, I want to have, go I'm ahead. Sure you wildly watch it more than I do, but uh, is the Big Ten any good? Uh, you know the big the, the top of the Big Ten is not real good. They all are flawed, um, <laughs> but the but the depth is very good. More balanced, right? More balanced without a dominant. I mean, there what did what did Bill Self when he was around? He used to say it was bottom heavy, color bottom heavy. <laughs> But, you know, the, there, there are a lot of teams now, you know, the other part of it is if somebody decides to shake their M.O., if the Purdue perimeter decides to, you know, play up to the level of some of the paint guys or Michigan decides to keep guarding and shooting, you know, those are teams that are capable of doing more in, in March than people realize. Uh, but you know, And Wisconsin, I, I don't understand them. My alma mater, I thought they were – they look like they might be a Final Four team uh, in, in January, and now I don't know that they're going to win another game. You know, they, they just have gotten flat-footed; they're on their heels. Uh, you can go down, you know, you can go down the list. I mean, it's not a it's not a great year for for the Big Ten's Final Four prospects. Right. Uh, and they'll probably all be out very quickly, but but there's some, you know, th- there's good depth. I think. I guess I'm just not wowed by any team this year. I, it's just like you know. I can't latch on to them and say, you know, this is going to be my sleeper team in the brackets, you know, uh, that they may make a run. 
I guess any of them could, but I don't have confidence in it that any of them will. No, because they all have a fatal flaw. I mean, like, Maryland is, is very young once you get past Mellow Trimble. Iowa, you know, wasn't that good to begin with, but and, and they have that same deal. They're very young outside of Peter Jock, who had the back trouble. On the other hand, if those teams get their acts together, they, they could be okay. Michigan State has lost three key players to injury, and so they're very young. Indiana is – who knows about Indiana? They're a mess. Yeah, yeah. You're right. There's no, uh, there's no teams that I would tout as um, teams that are going to go deep, but I, I, I think one, one or two might surprise just by process of you know the numbers they're throwing at the tournament. Yeah, I know one that won't. And that one would be... In Piscataway. Piscataway. Well, there they're not go. surprising they, anybody. They had their great moment. They they cast John Gross to the uh, Lions by uh, spoiling Illinois' upset chance. Uh, he rushed the court. Uh, yeah. You know, for beating an NIT team. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we we should probably wrap this up uh, as exciting as it's been. And it has been. What a lively discussion. Uh, we can uh, we can continue this off the air, but I think we'll wrap up the podcast. I want to thank Tom Lucci for joining us from Piscataway. Uh, Herb Gould now back in Chicago. Uh, Mark Blauchin in Situate. Chris Dufresne in, in Chino Hills, the home of the famous Ball family, um, and other things, and a lotto winner at 7-Eleven. That's about it for us. But uh, uh, we'll probably do another one as the tournament gets rolling, and Thanks for listening, and uh, adios. We'll play out with some music that you can't hear yet, and but you will shortly. <laughs>